0: Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message.
1: As I begin, I want to ask this question, just a question for all of you. How many of you here today, you work for someone? You have a supervisor, a boss, raise your hand if that's, you have a job where you report to someone. All right, good. What if, and this is an if, for the next 90 days, which was three months, you made the decision that for the next 90 days, I am not going to talk to my supervisor in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Even though a few of you think that that is a wonderful idea, <laughs> practically speaking, you couldn't function very well and you would probably get fired. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been stood up on a date? You ever got stood up on a date? Anybody? How did you feel at that moment? Did you feel hurt? Did you feel disappointed? Did you feel let down? I want to remind you that God in heaven desires to talk to you, but he wants you to want to talk to him. Now here in California, just because of where we live in Los Angeles, we always run into wherever you go. You run into so-called famous people, right? If you've ever seen someone famous, you know you want to talk to them, but deep down, you know that person doesn't really want to talk to you at all. (laughs) Am I right? Okay, now stay with me. God is a billion times more important than any movie star this town has ever produced. And God is longing to talk to you. It's called prayer. A conversation with a willing, loving, heavenly Father. Last week we learned that He will never let you down. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always provide and always protect you. He will always set a perfect example for you. He will always care. He will always love you. And He is always longing to talk to you. Our Father in heaven. Today is the second week of seven weeks where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. We did this last week. I want to do it again this week. I want us to read it out loud together. Or if you have it memorized, you can quote it, uh, and I'll put the words on the screen. If you don't have your Bible, Matthew chapter six, verse nine. Let's read it together. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today, I want to look at that second line, hallowed be your name. Now, if you have your sermon notes, and I hope you do, write this down. And this is going to sound a little simple to some of you, but I want you to know that God does have a name. Now, one year ago, if you were here, A year ago, we did a whole series, just like I'm doing a series now in the Lord's Prayer. A year ago, we did a whole series on the name of God. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, and the Hebrew language, they did not have vowels, no vowels in the Hebrew language. We have five vowels in the English language, A, E, I, O, and U. But in the original Hebrew language, It was only consonants. There were no vowels. It's a very difficult language to learn and to be able to read. And the name for God had no vowels in it. The name for God only had four letters. They're in your notes. Y-H-W-H. That's the name of God. And those four letters, as you read through the Old Testament, write this down, are found 6,800 And 23 times. That's a lot of times you see God's name in the Old Testament. Even though we see these four letters close to 7,000 times, no one on the planet Earth knows how to pronounce the name of God in its original Hebrew language. No one knows. We just know those four letters are God's name in the Hebrew language. Now, in the English language, it's G-O-D, right? But in the Hebrew language, 7,000 times, no one knows how to pronounce it. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. So keep keep that in the forefront of your mind. I want you to write this down. God reveals himself through Scripture. For example, when you read the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible... God reveals himself as the creator God. In Exodus, he's revealed as the redeemer. In Leviticus, he reveals himself as the high priest. In Numbers, he's the savior, the one who's lifted high. In Deuteronomy, he's the lawgiver and our teacher. In Joshua, he's revealed as the captain of the Lord's army. In the book of Judges, you should be able to figure this out. He's revealed as the judge of all the ages. In the book of Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he's the root of Jesse and the son of David. In the book of Kings, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. In Chronicles, he's our intercessor and the great historian. In the book of Ezra, he's the rebuilder of the house of God. In Nehemiah, he's a mighty wall, he is our protector. In Esther, God is revealed as our deliverer in Job. He is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother in the book of Psalms. He's the song of all the ages. He is the shepherd in Proverbs. He's the wisdom and the truth in Ecclesiastes. He's our purpose and our reason to live in song of Solomon. He's the rose of Sharon and the wonderful lover in Isaiah. He's the mighty counselor, the prince of peace. The everlasting father in jeremiah he's the balm of gilead the soothing salve for your sin sick soul in ezekiel he's the will in the middle of the will in daniel he's the cornerstone in hosea he's the great forgiver and not only through the old testament books but in the new testament books in galatians he is your liberty in ephesians he is the head of the church in philippians he is your joy In Colossians, he is your rescuer and your inheritance. In Thessalonians, he's your hope and your glory. In Hebrews, he is the perfect one. In Revelation, he is the soon and coming king. So we know as we read through the Bible that his nature and his character is revealed. But I want to go back to his name, those four letters. 7,000 times, yet no one knows how to pronounce it. Why? Why do we not know how to pronounce his name? The reason, one of the reasons is because the nation of Israel, when they came to the name of God, they had such reverence for his name that they refused to even utter his name. Now, in the 7th and 8th century, man, scribes, scholars, we inserted some vowels We put an A in there and we put an E in there. And so we call it Yahweh. But we came up with that. That's not his real name. His real name are those four letters. In fact, Hebrews would say when they came to those four letters close to 7,000 times, they wouldn't even say his name. They would just say this phrase Hashem, which means the name. They would say the name. They get to those four letters, the name. And so because of their reverence for his name, Israelites would not dare to speak of it so it's never been passed down throughout all the generations which leads me to my second point write this down his name is holy and that's not just his title his character is holy and if you miss this second line our father in heaven is the first line the second line hallowed be your name if you miss the second line you won't understand anything about the Lord's Prayer. The word hallowed 2,000 years ago was a very common word. Today, no one knows what it means. But the word hallowed means, I want you to write this down, it means to make separate. Or you could also write down to make holy. It's not just your name is holy, it means to make your name holy. Holy hallowed be your name. You're acknowledging that your heavenly father is pure, that he's untainted, that he's unpolluted, that he's separate from anything on this earth that is sinful, that is wicked, that is profane. Jesus wants you to realize that when you pray that the God you are praying to is holy, that he's unmarred by sin. He's not consumed like we are with irrational behavior and twisted thinking and evil ways and sinful thoughts and mischievous ways. The angels in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, they cry out to the Lord, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever whose name is holy revelation chapter 15 verse 4 who will not fear you O lord bringing glory to your name for you alone are what are worthy yes write this down he wants you to understand who you are addressing that the person you are addressing is not just a formal address like to the ceo of the whole world or to the chairman of the universe. Or as some of you refer to God as the big guy upstairs. No, 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 no. He wants you to know that the God that you pray to is holy, that he's pure, that he's perfect, that he's unpolluted, that he's untainted, that he is a holy God. Now, there is a balance here. You have to understand this balance. Our Father in heaven, that last week, Abba, Our father, Abba, he's your papa, he's your dada. He has an intimate relationship with his children. Yes. But on the other hand, he is a holy, holy God. On one hand, we have the closeness of God. Our father, our Abba, our papa, we have the closeness of God. But on the other hand, we have the, the purity of God, the holiness of God. And if God is just holy, is that that all you see God is just a holy God? Then he's a distant God. And if all you have is the closeness to God, then you won't have the, the reverence for God that you should have. There has to be both. Now I want to give you a sermon inside of a sermon. And the sermon inside the sermon is this. If you would only realize how holy and how pure God is, then you would realize how sinful you are. And that shouldn't scare you. That's a good thing. Because if you truly understand how holy God is and you understand how sinful you are, then you understand your need for grace. And you understand that God's love and redeeming grace is upon you. And what we do so often is we dumb God down. He's not this holy entity, He's just the big guy upstairs, right? And what that does is we don't have to confront our sin, we don't need to cry out to God for His grace. Because we've shrunk God or we've made God into the God of our image. Because if you really understood who God is in his holiness and his purity, you wouldn't go out and commit the sins that you commit. You just wouldn't do it. Now in the Old Testament, everybody say Old Testament. This is an Old Testament story. This is true though. In Second Samuel chapter six, David had captured the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark which was a box that, uh, and I've preached on this before, but it had the mercy seat and it was the presence of God. And the Bible says in the text in Second Samuel that David David called up thirty thousand of his soldiers. That's a lot of soldiers. They had thirty thousand soldiers. And they had the ark of God and all the soldiers were clapping and shouting and singing and dancing because they had the presence of God. Now no man was supposed to ever touch that box and it was being carried on a cart by some oxen and the Bible says that the oxen stumbled and that the box began to fall. And there was a man named Uzzah, U-Z-Z-A-H, Uzzah. Uzzah saw the ark of God began to fall. No man was supposed to touch it. It was going to fall. And he reached out his hand just just to steady it. And God struck him down. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, verse 7, that the Lord's anger, look at these words, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his what? His irreverent act. And therefore, God struck him down and he died right there beside the ark of God. What do you think those other 30,000 guys did when they saw that? I bet they didn't touch it. How many of you know they didn't touch it? Because, man, if I do that, God's going to strike me dead. But that's the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament you should have the same respect and fear and reverence of God that they had in the Old Testament. But your understanding of the holiness of God should lead you to understand the sinfulness of man, but you should not live in fear, but you should rejoice that God's grace sent Jesus into this world to die so that you could have everlasting life and that you might live in freedom covered with the grace of Almighty God. But you certainly wouldn't go out and continue to commit irreverent acts now, would you? Why? Not because you're a fear of God, but because you are so appreciative of the grace of God. But I am convinced, I am convinced that the sins that we all commit come down to one truth. And that is that none of us in here truly understand the holiness of God. Because if you understood His holiness, you would not be committing the sins that we commit. Now, number three, write this down, number three. The Bible says that we are to make His name hallowed. We are to make. It's something that we do. Now, this is, this is kind of strange. It's kind of hard to explain this and to understand this. But the Bible says... Our Father, when you pray, pray these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that means to make his name holy. Now, how do you make someone who's already holy, holy? And I'll let you know there is nothing that I could ever do to make God holier than he already is. Amen? God is just holy. But what he means by saying, hallowed be your name we are to reveal His holiness to the world by how we live our lives. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Two dimensions to being holy people. Number one, write this down. If you're going to be holy people, it means two things. Number one, your allegiance. It means that you belong to God and to God only. It means that God is first and everything flows down From him. That God is supposed to be first in your home. He is first in your marriage. God is first in your finances. God is first in your time management. God is first in your heart. Your allegiance is to God. In other words, if it comes down between your allegiance to the government or your allegiance to God it's God. If your allegiance comes down between all your friends and God, it should be God. If it comes down to yourself or God, it's God. If it comes down between what the world wants and what God wants, our allegiance is to what God wants. God called Israel with all of their ups and downs he called them a holy people. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, He called them a holy nation, a people belonging to God. The nation of Israel belonged to God. And I believe that the United States of America, that we should be a people that belong to God. God is saying, you belong to me. You shouldn't bow down and worship the false gods of Baal. You shouldn't worship the heathen gods of this world, the false gods of this world. But the second part of holiness, and and, and you should know this, is purity. Not only do we belong to him, our allegiance is to him, but we are to meet God's standard. To make his name holy is to reflect who he is, in our lives, our lives should reflect the holiness of God. In the New Testament, the Bible says this in 1 Peter 1.16, God says, be holy because I am holy. And what that means is our hearts should be pure. Our minds should be pure. Our words, the words that come out of your mouth should be pure your thoughts should be pure listen i know the culture in america especially in la it's like a tsunami that just bowls us over and christians if you wear the name of christ i meet too many christians that go well I can listen to this music and I can watch these shows and I can go to any movie I want to go to. I'm covered by the grace of God. I'm not going to be judged on that. I can hang out with whoever I want. I can go wherever I want to go. But as a Christian, your heart is supposed to be pure. So you have to guard what you see, what you watch. You have to guard the music that you listen to. You can't just go wherever you want and do whatever you want and say whatever you want. Your heart is supposed to be pure. Your mind is supposed to be pure. Your thoughts are supposed to be pure. Your marriage is supposed to be pure. Your motives are supposed to be pure. Your bodies are supposed to be pure. And when you say Hallowed be your name, you're entering into God's presence. And when you enter into God's presence, You're to live a life that reflects His holiness.
0: It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. reach that address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach
2: we live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world we see about 10,000 messages every day we even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day we're literally being overwhelmed with information that's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book one thing rediscover a simpler faith in our complicated world In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of scripture, where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, one thing. These scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there. And this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today. And get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything.
0: I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.